Ground control to Pastor Tom? Is it weird that David Bowie also sang a song about your wife? People clearly want their space in this oddity of an aftermath. On this 41st episode of Resurrection Revealed. Welcome back for another full discussion and fan feedback episode of the Resurrection Revealed podcast. You've probably heard before, but it bears repeating that we are proud members of the Noodle Mix Network and we're sponsored by our Amazon affiliate links at resurrectionrevealed.com slash Amazon. And we want to welcome you for joining us for this in-depth discussion. It's going to be all about Season 2, Episode 9, Aftermath. And this is an unofficial podcast by and for fans of ABC TV's Resurrection, recorded December 9th, 2014. And me, I am at Wayne Henderson, your voice acting, podcasting Green Bay Packers fan who wishes he still had some of his cool childhood toys like teddy bears and G.I. Joes. Yeah, and I'm at Troy Heinrichs, and I would really recommend using the Amazon affiliate link this holiday season to buy yourself some Raid to get those ants out of your kitchen as well as a new tea kettle for the one that may be dented. (laughs) Those things break so easy. Show notes for this episode can be found at resurrectionrevealed.com slash 41. And man, an aftermath we sure had for a number of reasons in this episode, Mr. Henderson. Yeah, it definitely tied in more to the title than last week's episode did. And it was all over the place. When, When I look back at my notes that I took during the episode, I'm like, Really? This all happened in one episode? But it did. Let's dig in. Well, let's cover the first point of, did you appreciate these last two episodes more because you had kind of that two-week Thanksgiving break? Or do you think these two episodes would have been better if it would have been nine straight episodes all the way through? Personally, I think they would have done better all in a row. I sometimes worry that a show can lose a little bit of momentum And it just seems like the way that they were filmed and presented that they were actually meant to originally be all in a row. Yeah, or at least the one episode where we had the dream sequence with Rachel and Grandma kind of sharing that same plane because we open up the episode this week in that kind of dream sequence. So the real question is, as Tom is passing away on the ground, is he transcending into this space where the return can share memories Therefore, is this a kind of flash forward in that Tom will eventually become a resurrected himself? That's a great question. And I am hoping that we find out this season because that's one of the most surprising things that I think that they brought into season two of resurrection was this possibility of the shared dream state or whatever you have it. And now, of course, I'm a little nervous every time I go to bed. Well, and the concept of the purgatory came up again with the fact that they showed this dream sequence, because the one thing that. I keep going back and forth when I think about Ray Mays' theories that he's been talking about the wormholes and the bending of space and time and Jacob looking at this from a different perspective. Could the dream state end up being another like parallel timeline? In which case, Rachel never did commit suicide. Her and Tom were always married from the beginning, had the child, and it's really a different outcome of what their lives could have been if Rachel hadn't taken her own life. I don't know. I I can't comment on that side of it. I just thought he was having some last dream before uh, passing away. I I don't know. In the comment that Rachel makes there in that sequence, right? Tom, we were so close. Is that his memory and his projection of the dream 
Or is that Rachel actually communicating with him either from a previous life or the current life in this astral plane, if you will? Either way, it's uh, super cool. I, I, I'm sure that they're going to break it down for us a little more once we get into 2015. Now, talking about something cool, I don't know if you caught this, Wayne, but they're doing this, uh, you know, the bell tolls as the uh, title credits finish up. And they're kind of going from Maggie slumped down and it looked like her office or the clinic over to the Langston's house. And as they're standing there with uh, Lucille over the tea kettle in the China buffet cabinet over on the left-hand side of the screen, Henry is obviously on the right side looking out the window. What I noticed was Henry's reflection was in that China cabinet almost as if he was looking back at Lucille and himself, like he could be a potential returned, you know, kind of the, like through the looking glass kind of concept. I, I, I just, I happened to notice it on the second watch. I was like, whoa, the reflection is there. And was that intentional or unintentional based on your video filming concepts? <laughs> I'm going to go with the fact that it just looked extra cool. So they decided to film it and put it in there. If it does have extra meaning, uh, credit goes to you, Troy, for catching that because those types of things, I usually just gloss right over them. I mean, it looks cool. I just hope we're not meant to read too much into it. Well, then I have a question for the fans. And I don't know if you get a chance to do this, Wayne, uh, as part of your second watch, but people were confused about the teddy bear that Jacob turned around. Was this teddy bear something from Jacob's past when him and Tom were kids both at the same time? Some people had mentioned that the teddy bear was actually a gift that Tom brought to the hospital back in the pilot episode in season one. So I don't know if you got a chance to check out your DVDs and see if that teddy bear was indeed part of the first episode of Resurrection. Well, two things on that. One, listeners, we want to know what you think. Again, go to resurrectionrevealed.com slash feedback and share your thoughts and let us know what you're thinking about that. For myself, uh, my DVD player is broken. I need to get a new one for the holidays. <laughs> so I couldn't pull out the DVDs. But upon the first watch, I think that we're meant to remember it as being that teddy bear that Tom brought to the hospital in the first episode. Yeah, I was trying to think back. Was it a teddy bear? Is it the same color? And unfortunately, I did not pick up the DVDs yet over at resurrectionrevealed.com slash season one. I have to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm more of the digital native, so I prefer to get my stuff off of iTunes or Amazon or one of those other places. But we'll have to take a look. If someone has, you know, season one handy, wants to take a look at it after listening to this podcast, and of course, send it on in. Again, resurrectionrevealed.com slash feedback. We would like to know, is that teddy bear the one that Tom brings to the hospital in the opener of the show? Now, Ray is recovering. Good to see Ray back up on his feet, but... Man, does he eat that sandwich like he's never eaten before. Hmm, that kind of makes you wonder if he's extra hungry just because he's been kind of in a sedated state at the hospital all this time, or is he hungry because he's a returned? We actually uh, had some fun talking with Travis on Facebook through the uh, Eastern Time Zone Resurrection Group, and he was talking about how he actually got to pick apart the con the uh, items in that sandwich. And he said that the first one was really good, but then after eating it like four or five times for the shot, it got a little old after a while. <laughs> Can you imagine the things they, they have to go through? And, you know, last season, during season one, we interviewed uh, Travis for the podcast, and he is high energy all the time, and it was a great interview, and he shared some 
good insights. But I didn't think about that when it comes to the sandwich. If it's real food that they just have to keep going till they get the shot they want. I'm wondering, you know, we talked about it last week and maybe even the week before that we thought his sister Elaine might be trying to kill him. But she seems pretty content this week with the fact that Ray is recovering. Unless she had the like, cyanide poison. Someone had mentioned that the fingernails turning blue was a, uh, c- a concept of cyanide poisoning. And so did she have the cyanide poisoning laced to that napkin that she was trying to clean his mouth with? Ah, or maybe she did successfully kill him and he's back. Yeah, because we don't know if he might have passed away in the middle of the night. But from everything we know, if he passed away, his body would still be there and he would come back as a second vessel, if you will. Oh, that's right. That's right. Good point. So we don't know if Elaine was trying to kill him or not. She seems happy that he's recovering and we'll have to play off the fact that maybe she was just disgruntled, but really at the end of the day, she does love her brother. Let's go with it. The big question is, what are we going to learn from Ray? Are we going to learn anything from Ray in the four episodes coming in January? I would not be surprised if there's something to learn from him because just like in season one, there's occasionally the hashtag Ray knows and he may know something. It may or may not involve aliens like Ray thought in season one, but uh, he knows something. And I'm still trying to piece together because we got this really interesting concept, not to jump ahead, about, well, only one person has been affected from the non-returned species, if you will. And because of that, is that really true? Because we also know that only a returned has been healed by the stem cells, uh, fetal cells, and she was a returned from a return. So it was like a returned healing a returned. So we really don't know at the end of the day if a returned healed a non-returned or if it was another returned healing a returned. True. (laughs) And then when you're done uh, reading all that, you hit return at the end of your typing page. (laughs) That's what you should do because uh, apparently the, the, is it stem cells? Is that what we're going with? Stem cells. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. From the baby, right? Right, right. So this unborn baby in Rachel 3.0, and apparently even in Rachel 2.0, this unborn baby is already saving lives. It's got a big life ahead of it. Yeah, and I think it's going to do a heck of a lot more as we continue on with the discussion. Because the one thing I I noticed, I don't know if you picked this up either, on the second watch, when Rachel is trying to escape from Janine's clutches, that they actually had a shot of the deadbolt, and it was reversed. So normally on your deadbolt, you have the key on the outside and you have the the little switchy lock on the inside. But if you look at that front door as uh, she's trying to escape, the key is actually on the inside. Now, that's what I call attention to detail on a show like this, because you could just say, oh, it's just acting. And, you know, we're trying to make you know believe that she's locked inside the house. But whoever in the you know props department or set department that went the extra mile to show the key on the inside of the deadbolt, big props. I thought that was a really nice touch. It is a nice touch. I actually caught that on the first viewing. I said, aha. So she, because at first I was thinking, why can't she just find a way to escape? Uh, The old, she's going to have to break something to get out because (laughs) without the key, and of course she should be able to find the key with uh, knocking her out with the tea kettle. She should be able to just rummage for everything and escape. Now, the interesting thing about this scene, not that the fact that you have this nice discussion about, you know, Tom's dead. What do you mean he's dead? It's like, I'm his wife. Of course I'm going to tell you the truth. You know, why do you get to be not believing when I'm his wife? I'm telling you the truth. He's dead, all right? Yeah. And then they sit down and they have tea and kind of chat with each other. And then she tries to escape and all this good stuff. But she, Janine, like, does this creepy hand thing. And almost like she's 
trying to channel the baby's thoughts. And, and Rachel seemed really frightened at that specific time. And I had to replay it again, and I found out that it's actually Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 from the Bible that she's quoting. She says, um, In that day the wolf and the lamb will live together, the leopard will lie down with the baby goat, the calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. And I thought these were really interesting words, because if you look at the animals that are named in this verse, you know, you're talking about the wolf and the lamb, mortal enemies, right? Right. And if you talk about the calf and the lion, again, mortal enemies. Right. And so one interpretation of this verse could be about the kingdom of the Messiah. If you're talking about it from a biblical perspective, that when the Messiah's kingdom is fully realized, it'll be a perfect place that they shall neither hurt nor destroy inside of this holy place. And primarily, this passage is figurative in a lot of ways and points to harmony among men who in the Messiah's kingdom shall no longer prey upon each other. And I found that really interesting because as we think about what's going on inside the Arcadia with the true living and the returned and the fact that we have kind of sides being taken between the Langston family and the Addison family and then sides being taken between Janine and Rachel, that could this child not only cure this illness, but could this child be a true calling or Messiah, if you will, that brings the town of Arcadia back together? Well, there's definitely something special about that child. The fact that it's lived through its mom's dying a couple of times. And that is a great verse. And I like how you tied that into what might be happening in Arcadia. But uh, I don't know if Rachel picked up on that right away. She was just kind of freaked out because that's kind of a strange verse to be saying over your baby and everything. It was just an odd scene. All the scenes that they did together were very, very strange. But the interpretation of Isaiah eleven six it could mean even bigger things ahead for this baby, whether or not it's really Pastor Tom's. Yeah, and that's the one thing we should be thinking about when we hear things like this. Is it just, okay, we know Janine is a spiritual person, so of course Janine would throw out a Bible verse as she's like trying to calm Rachel down, or was that verse picked specifically for the intention that the audience should be aware of what is actually being said because it really does have a second meaning at the end of the day? On a show like Resurrection, we've learned already in just one and a half seasons to pay attention to everything. Now... Tom has passed, and Lucille obviously raised Jacob and Tom as they were boys. So the big question I have is Jacob's trying to make you know Lucille feel better with this picture of Tom and Jacob when they were little. When she's crying, is she crying more for the fact that Tom is dead? Or is she kind of mourning the life that Jacob used to have with Tom because she really is like longing for those days of the two boys being little again? I would go with the latter. I think she's the whole thing has just been thrown totally out of whack ever since Jacob showed up and all of the could have beens and would have beens and should have beens are weighing on Lucille like crazy. I mean, she's last week she was making apologies and atonement for what she had said before. And she's just, I worry about Lucille. I think she is right on the edge of losing it all together. Yeah. And that's the one thing that I, kind of pick up on as this progresses towards the um, 
funeral or vigil, whatever you want to call it, at the end of the episode, when Henry then gets struck and knocked down and she's feeling sorry for him, but then immediately freaks out when Jacob is missing. So are we going to see, you know, Lucille kind of come unraveled in the last four episodes of the season, which would be kind of similar to the book in a way, but in a different perspective. So it'll be interesting to see how they tie that from the book, if they do, you know, to pull on something for Lucille's character. Because she's been, you know, more involved this season than she was maybe in season one. But we still haven't really seen Lucille come to the forefront of the show. Right. And I'm anxious for these final episodes to get here so we can really jump in and see what's going to happen. And in the end, I think Lucille could end up being one of the biggest tragedies as far as what happens to her character through this whole journey. Well, Sheriff Fred has really gone from not being a tragedy, a drunken, you know, depressed person because of Barbara. And he's really had a miraculous turnaround this season and how he handles not only the uh, the station and the staff, but Bellamy and his daughter. Yeah, I, I think Sheriff Fred is really the most interesting character of the series to see how he has dealt with the return and what the whole concept of how you would understand this phenomenon. I think he's a really good character study to just watch him progress just in his parts alone to see how you would deal with a situation like this if it happened in real life. Oh, I totally agree, Troy, because going back to the first couple of episodes of season one, he was one of the least likable characters and not just because he had a tendency to drink too much alcohol, but he's his character of Sheriff Fred has just come so far and he's had a few setbacks, which I thought was pretty realistic because nobody just gets better all the time. We all have setbacks. But now I think he's in a really good place. And when we were watching Resurrection the other night, my wife even commented on it saying, you know, I never thought I would like Sheriff Fred, but now he's one of my favorite characters on Resurrection. Yeah, I have to agree. It'd be awesome if we get uh, Mr. Craven to come onto the podcast and get an interview with him just to see how he's approached the character in this second season, because he started out, you know, obviously a little bit on the downer side. Then he got picked up again. And you would think that he would have spiraled back out of control when Barbara disappeared. Mm-hmm. But he was able to pull himself out of that and really come to the forefront to help solve the mystery of Pastor Tom's death, which, of course, happened to be good old Carl himself. Exactly. And I thought it was a nice touch. Again, the attention to detail by the directors and producers of the show that, uh, he did go back to find this missing uh, canister that Carl had stolen from the uh, sheriff's house or not the sheriff's house, the police station. And the fact that they made it be, you know, Carl tried to be a little bit sneaky and just take the ones from the back of the rows, hoping nobody would notice. But you know, when you're searching for missing tear gas canisters, you're going to look all the way to the back. And uh, Carl, I think is going to have to serve some time. Right. First in, first out. Remember that rule. Mm-hmm. If you take one from the back, you got to shift all of the other ones over to make it really look like nothing ever was missing. Yes. Now, the other attention to detail that I really like this week is the fact that we had Bellamy leaving that mysterious cell phone behind so he could find Angela's secret government or not government or whatever it is base. Yeah. And the fact that we were able to actually, we didn't know when that was going to play out, right? We didn't know how Bellamy would return to Angela's compound if you will, the the fact that he was able to then go there and say, well, now we have this cell phone in play and that it actually served a purpose. I thought it was really great how they wove the stories together to get 
Rachel 2.0 and why Rachel 3.0 needed to exist in the first place, tying that into this cell phone deposit and then tying it into the fact that we're out of time and we need more drugs. I thought it was a really great way to tie up all three of those stories into the same thing. Oh, me too. And I didn't see any of those things all tying together. And now they are all part of the very mysterious package of information that's going on in Angela Forrester's office, whether it's government or not. Uh, it brings up even more questions as we're going to find out as we talk through this episode. And I think that should hopefully quell some of maybe the naysayers, if there are any out there, that say shows like this don't have a roadmap or they're just kind of making it up as they go along. I mean, Rachel 3.0 was established in episode seven of season one. And here we are, you know, episode nine of season two. And here now that has a purpose. So I think that having that long term roadmap is clearly in play and it's executed almost kind of brilliantly because you don't think about it. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. There is a second <laughs> body out there. Yeah, I totally had forgotten. And then when they brought it in and talked about the whole the whole baby and the stem cells, it all started to come together. Let's talk about that little field trip over to Angela's <laughs> office. I, I like Maggie in the car because I think Maggie represents the voice of the audience at this point, or at least it represented my voice or what I should have been thinking about the whole time. But it's the first time that she comes up with the concept of that Bellamy was it just a coincidence that he happened to find Jacob and come back to Arcadia where he was born? Or was this all manipulated by some higher power from the beginning? And it's kind of surprising that we have not thought of that before, that uh, a lot more things are not coincidence, especially on this show. And now it's, it's just all coming to fruition that possibly ever since the beginning, even more before this elegant woman, Angela Forrester, was part of the cast this year, that maybe going back to the very first episode of Resurrection ever, Bellamy was being kind of steered in this direction. Yeah, was there a branch? I mean, because we found out Tony, if you remember Tony, she was working with them, kind of blackmailed, if you will, yeah. in that first episode of season two to get Bellamy to come on in. So maybe... Uh, Tony was being manipulated all along back in the first episodes of season one. Could be. It's starting to look more like that all the time. Let's continue there. So they have this conversation. They explain that they could maybe get the stem cells from Rachel 2.0. And Angela's like, well, I got to go talk to my superiors. And we meet secret Mr. Bearded Man. <laughs> I don't have a good name for him yet. If one of you guys want to tag him with a name out there, let us know. Resurrectionrevealed.com slash feedback but I'm going to call him a secret bearded man for right now. And some of the things he was saying made you kind of go, well, is he really on the human side? Is he on the return side or is he on a different plane altogether? Because he said that um, they're not going to let him have Rachel's body. Uh, we really can't help them. We should have nature run its course and we're not in the business of helping the dead people anymore. Wasn't his exact words, but that's what I picked up. Something along those lines. And on the surface, all of the things that he said in this episode seemed rather blunt and tried to make it seem like he's not going to help Bellamy or anybody in Arcadia. But when you think about it more, like you touched on, he could be doing just the opposite. Explain. Well, you know, he's just kind of putting on this front and, you know, talking about how they're not going to help. We're tired of trying to help these people that have come back to life or whatever. But at the same time, going out of his way to protect or hide this 
uh, body of Rachel 2.0 further because I'm sure that they've got all sorts of experimentation going on when even though it looks like they're just keeping her in a drawer, I don't think so. And that's why we need a season three because we have all the people that were unclaimed now in this government facility, plus all the bodies of return that they have in these crypts or whatever you want to call it. And there's just so much more now that we could learn just about that group alone, let alone all the backstories you could tell about 1935 and 1980 when the um, incident happened with uh, Barbara and Jacob or even Margaret's cancer and how that came to be. There's just so many more stories in this universe that could be told that it'd be really sad to see it go if uh, ABC decides to pull the plug on it. Exactly. So then we have Angela coming back and saying, nope, can't help you out. We don't have any more medicine, kind of on your own. But yet she's the one that hands back the bag to Maggie, which, of course, surprise, has more vials of medicine in it. So do we say that Angela has a heart or do we say Angela is a sympathizer because she's a returned? It's starting to look more like Angela Forrester is a return. I mean, going back to that mysterious scene where she's sitting, you know, having kind of a flashback or a dream of sitting in this airline seat out in this field and somehow she's survived a plane crash. It sounds like another show we, we've talked about before. But in reality, she may have just come back to life. But one way or another, I think that she is the one. I mean, what's the most obvious is that she's the one that gave them the extra medicine. I suppose there's a case to be made that maybe the mysterious unnamed bearded man hid the medicine in the bag and Angela just handed it off and didn't even look inside. But I don't think so. That's a good point. I didn't think that the bearded man might have actually put the medicine in there. Good good point. Yeah. Until they show it, I'm not going to believe either story 100%. That's exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> well, they're coming back to town. Bellamy looks like he's going to be okay. But the people that are not going to be okay are Henry and his mom. Oh, man. Man, this was... Really interesting how this all went down. So the recap, obviously, Sheriff Fred figures out that Mr. Addison is going to be swindling people. He somehow manages to get the check, gives the check to Henry, tells him about the fire and that he should talk to mom. Henry finds the blueprints, then confronts mom. And the one thing that I picked up on was actually in the conversation with Jacob, where grandma says, there are always people that want to hurt those that are different and those that they love human nature, and it won't change. So does this statement speak to the whole concept of the show and how human nature needs to change in order for people to enjoy the time they have with the people that they have on this planet? It could mean either one of those things. All of those scenes were so well done, and the fact that she's talking to such a young boy could lead to a different interpretation, but I'm not a big fan of Grandma Langston right now. (laughs) Just saying. Well, and that's exactly what happens then, right? She hurts the one that she loves in Henry, and then Henry hurts her in return as they're having this out. And Henry basically says, you know, my son was found dead, and I didn't know for three hours because I gave my life to this factory. And then mom turns around and says, well, if you were going to ruin the place and not keep it together, I never would have put you in charge in the first place. Wow. Huge, right? Huge. But then there was this. I don't know if anybody caught this or not, but Henry says, Dad didn't know, did he? Did you protect him like you protected Fred? And I kind of went, wait, what did Fred need protection of? And then that got me thinking of, oh, the river. Did Fred push 
Barbara into the river. But then I was like, no, that couldn't have been because Margaret died the year before. So why would Margaret been able to protect him? So what did Margaret protect Fred from is literally what set my radar off on the second watch. I didn't even catch that little uh, bit of a dig in there because there were so many digs going on that I didn't catch that one. Or was it something more recent that she was protecting Fred from? I'm not sure. Yeah, but I, I I caught the line. He's like, you know, Dad, you you protected Dad just like you protected Fred. Protected Fred from what? And we have an, another story that we can keep going with season three on. Oh, absolutely. And I was still reeling from that discussion when Henry finally basically kicks his mom out and reminds her, look, as far as I'm concerned, you've been, quote, dead for decades. Yeah, that was really cold and really powerful at the same time. You know, kudos, kudos. I mean, these are two powerful actors really showing off their craft here with Michelle Fairley and Kurtwood Smith. Really, really great job in this scene. I mean, just emotional and just rocked you to the core if you were watching it. If you were you know, a parent or a son or a mother, I mean, I don't know how you couldn't just kind of choke back the tears a little bit this week. Yeah, it was family dynamics in the highest sense. Well, do you think we've seen the last of Brian and Grandpa, speaking of families, because this whole the deals off and the check thing. That was a little weird for me. It seemed a little too easily wrapped up. Yeah. And I don't know if that was just so that we don't have to look at it again for the rest of uh, season two. I have a feeling that let's just say this. If we get a season three of resurrection, I think we're definitely going to see those two again. But if we don't, I don't think we're going to see them again for the rest of this season. And then we come down to the end of the episode, the one line I really loved between Sheriff and Carl as they're fighting there, Carl's like, well, what does it matter? Death, you know, death doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah. And clearly he's talking about that from his experience with Mikey because he killed Mikey numerous times, we're assuming. And then Sheriff Fred pulls out the gun and says, what about now? You know, how does, does death matter now? And then he says, you know, I'm, I'm a man of the law. Killing is still killing. That's very poignant, right? Should we treat everybody the same way? Because whether they're returned or not, a killing is still a killing. I agree. Whether, like you said, whether they're true living or if they are clones or whatever is going to come of the return, what they really are, whether or not we ever find out, I still agree. Killing is killing. And Carl, even though it wasn't on purpose, the fact that he was all riled up and kind of helping co-lead the true living people into these riotous acts, I think he does need to be held responsible to some extent. And then, of course, the fight at the end of the episode, they're trying to make the claim, you know, hey, we're on public property, we have the right to be here, the scuffle happens. And it's it's amazing to think about, you know, the small town America and this furniture factory and the one guy is totally spot on, right? You know, my family gave their lives to the factory and then you just gave up on it. You know, it, yes, your son's death might have ruined you, but you giving up on the factory ruined the entire town. So it's not only Grandpa and Brian who have angst towards the Langstons. And there's a lot of people in Arcadia that probably don't like them. Yeah, and I never thought of it that way because I am more concerned with the family relationship and the fact that Jacob is back to life and back with his family but that, that that guy does bring up a good point. And it might even be like Maggie, for some reason, you know, tends to like be a little colder to Henry or Lucille, even though they are family, you know, but it affects her too. You know, 
Did she choose to stay in town? Did she have to stay in town because the factory folded to help make ends meet for, you know, for the, for Sheriff because Sheriff wasn't getting, you know, whatever compensation he was getting as part of the Langston family uh, through the furniture business. And that's why he became Sheriff at the end of the day. It's really an interesting story to find out like how many people are impacted. Number one, not only the fact that they covered up a mass murder back in 1935, but now the fact that they have this entire town that's dying because there's no work for these people. Yeah, it's kind of been a lose-lose proposition for a long time, and the brothers were not very happy to learn about this covered-up homicide or murder with the whole fire at the factory. Now, Grandma and Jacob talk about the fact that they don't want to be here anymore. I love the clever choice of words in the writing. Does that mean that they don't need to be in this specific block city block or is it that they are going to disappear for good when they say we don't need to be here anymore those of course are the ultimate questions that we are meant to ponder for the next month well give us a call let us know 904-469-7469 or visit resurrectionrevealed.com slash feedback you can basically tell us you know gone for good or just gone for a bit and we'd love to see what the votes look like during this uh, three-week hiatus before January 4th comes back. And our assumption is going to be that they will air the final four episodes in January because Gallivant will be taking Once Upon a Time's place at 8 Eastern, 7 Central. And that matches up perfectly to have four episodes of Resurrection to go right up with it at uh, 9 Eastern, 8 Central. So... I'm really curious if if that'll happen. There was a talk about a 14th episode. We don't know if 14 it actually got filmed or not. We'll have to wait and see. But the good news is is that ratings were up this week because no Walking Dead up against it. There you go. We have other people that are back to life wandering around to worry about. <laughs> the uh, question that you posed there at the end, also I wanted to add a little twist to it with uh, Grandma and Jacob disappearing from the scene or disappearing for good. Like I talked about on the initial reactions and questions needing answers episode, perhaps just one of them is going to disappear for good. Or do you think that maybe both of them are going to disappear in one way or another? Uh, There's so many ways they could go with this, and we just kind of have to wait till January to basically find out if, if January is when we get these final four episodes. And perhaps if there was this 14th episode that you talked about, Troy, perhaps it's going to be kind of held on to for if they get a season three, maybe they don't have to air this 14th episode, but if resurrection does not get renewed, perhaps this final episode will be what will answer a lot of questions. Yeah. And Margaret's really the interesting one in this disappearing conversation, because if anything happened in this episode tonight and you go by the cadence of the will to live, you know, there's nothing really for Margaret to continue living for, But at the same time, Margaret has always struck me as a fighter, and I don't think she would ever disappear because of the fact that she's such a fighter and such a scrapper and making sure that, you know, the show must go on, basically. So if one of them were to disappear, I would have to say Jacob because he really doesn't want mom and dad to be hurt anymore. So he could lose the will to live easier than grandma would. All righty. I have your vote duly noted, Troy. (laughs) Feel a team Wayne, team Troy coming on. We'll have to wait and see. (laughs) What did you think of this episode rating-wise if you had to pick on a scale of 1 to 10? I went with a 9 because the 
the check thing, the Addison grandpa just seemed to resolve too easily. That's the only thing that kept me from giving it a perfect 10 this week. So I gave it nine out of 10 blueprints of truth. Oh, very clever. I like that. I'm along the same lines. I'm up a little bit from last week. I'm giving this one a nine as well. Nine out of 10 doors locked from the inside. Attention to detail this week. So good. The writing was so good. The acting was so good. ABC is foolish if they do not pick this up for a third season. And if they don't, Lifetime, Netflix, anybody could grab this and it'd be an instant hit. But we have lots of great theories still coming up from the Resurrection Revealed listener community. So stay tuned because there are some new people adding into the mix with all of their great thoughts. Coming up next. Let's go ahead and start off the fan feedback section with our good buddy, Ray. He says, this episode gets a 9.6 from this res head. Francis and Kurtwood get the tie for his actors of the week. I believe that Tom will return and we kind of saw a flash forward, not to pick on that other show that we might have talked about a few times, uh, saw a flash forward of him holding his baby. Janine is indeed drugging Rachel, attempting to keep Rachel and the coming baby at hand and under her control. I don't think that Margaret Langston has changed a bit from when we first met her or from her past life. And that's really interesting because we talked about how Sheriff Fred has evolved over these two seasons. You would think that Margaret would have learned from her past mistakes and maybe evolved a little bit, wouldn't you say? You would think so. I don't know if she's just due to her being the grandma, if she is just stuck in her ways. But yeah, I agree with Ray. Margaret has not changed at all. Ray continues, it was Angela Forrester that put the medicine into Maggie's bag. I still believe that she is a returned and that she wants to see Maggie and Marty succeed in their quest to save the returned. Margaret Langston has lost control of her family. I believe that she will disappear and that Jacob will be recovered or drawn back by the love of his parents. Thank goodness that Ray's recovering. I still believe that he may know more than it appears. The weeks between the episodes isn't helping the show. Let's hope that it holds on. Oh, absolutely. I hope that it holds on. And Ray, you are in the opposite camp than uh, Team Troy with uh, thinking that it's going to be Margaret that disappears, but Jacob will stay. And they could just be pulling the wool over our eyes and perhaps nobody will disappear, truly. We also heard from Neil who says, well, it looks like he, meaning Pastor Tom, is really dead now. The question is, will he return? Big question. I'm going to say yes. I don't know when, if it'll be like the last episode or the penultimate episode, but he will come back. I agree. I I just can't imagine a character like Pastor Tom that so many people have grown to love on this show and respect that uh, we have not seen the last of him. And then we had Maverick on Twitter said, uh, when Landon Gamen is said that he didn't want to be here, that's Jacob, when Jacob said he didn't want to be here anymore, did he mean where he was or did he mean exist on the planet altogether? That's the big question. And then we had a new note here from Michael and Leslie that Michael and his wife normally don't watch TV series shows until we saw the TV advertisements for season one, episode one of Resurrection, and it sold us. Now we don't miss an episode. We hope for a third season and maybe more to follow. We're eager to see if Henry gets the factory up and running again and how the Langstons continue life with Jacob. 
this should continue to be the main focus of the show, but then again, a bit on the rest. I hope Tom Hale comes back too and can go forward with Rachel and his baby as well as his marriage with Janine. See, that's interesting because I said the minute he dies, he's untethered from Janine, right? Till death do us part. So now that he's dead, there's no marriage. Therefore, he can be with Rachel straight up and Janine can just go to the cuckoo's nest. Mm, I'm going to have to disagree with you on that one and go with what um, Michael and Leslie are hoping. Well, I wouldn't kill off any characters and make any more of the return to our main characters disappear. There are too many twists which drop the ratings. It was a shock already with Barbara disappearing as there was a side to see with Maggie wanting to catch up with the mother-daughter things and maybe continued efforts with Fred and Barbara. Fred most definitely needs a love partner on the show. What do you think of that? Does Fred need a lover? I don't necessarily think so, but uh, he could use a little romance. I mean, he is the sheriff after all, and that's a stressful job with all of these people coming back from the dead. A little romance could be good to go out and wine and dine and dance and whatever. I mean, he did look good at that family dinner, like he was a, a few years younger since Barbara had come back into his life. They did do a good job with that because we even had listeners uh, write in saying that, uh, did they do something different with Fred this week? Because he did seem like five, ten years younger. Well, Michael continues, another note regarding Deputy Carl Enders. Carl seems lost in the world. Uh, one note, we kind of discovered this when we got to know more about Carl in season two, but you would think that most sheriffs or police chiefs would fire their deputy when Carl aided Gary Humphrey in the kidnapping of Rachel in season one, as well as the misuse of a police vehicle when driving Rachel and Gary to Gary's cabin. Carl would have probably been on his way to prison come the current episode and wouldn't have then been able to kill Tom. I'm sure he is going to be fired now at the very minimum. People would be surprised if Fred lets him walk away from all of this and continue as the deputy as well. It would be huge criticism. Goodbye to Carl. Should have had enough sense not to do anything wrong. He'll be a weakling if sent to prison and result to being someone's girlfriend for protection. Not that this is important regarding the show. But it is kind of when you think about it, because that's what Mikey always picked on Carl for was being kind of, you know, the butt chin and, you know, uh, certain name face and all this other stuff. And he, he always was a weakling. So would he continue to be a weakling if he got sent to jail? Don't know. But Michael and Leslie bring up a great point on the other side of thing about Gary. Where is Gary? Our buddy Gary. I mean, he very well could join the force now. Uh, Gary would have been great to have in the character that's starting up the riot. Instead of uh, what's his name, who doesn't even have the stones to actually carry through with his threats. And then go around punching older gentlemen. Exactly. We had a uh, voicemail from a new caller, Dawn, at plus one nine zero four four six nine seven four six nine. You guys are going to like this one. Hey, guys, this is Dawn O'War. How are you? I'm calling about the Resurrection podcast. I just watched the last, uh, last two episodes um, Forsaken and Aftermath like, back-to-back. Back. Um, you know, I've been working on some half-baked theory that, like, the returned only, like, they disappear after people don't want them anymore. Like, it's, like somebody has to want them to be there. And that's how they exist. And that's kind of, like, the whole theory that I've got, which is why I haven't called in about it, because that, that's, uh, you know, like, when uh, Caleb's daughter told him off, then he disappeared. So, you know, I've had this theory all along, but I, I don't really know 
where I'm going with it or how any of the rest of it fits in. But um, what I'm calling about right now is um, first, first taken. Do you know what I just saw? Like I'm like I just finished watching True Blood, so my 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 brain is sort of in the vampire realm right now. But um, somewhere around the six minute mark, there's a scene where um, uh, Margaret goes to um, William Kirk's grandson Brian Addison, and she's like all dressed in like a black cape and. She asks to be invited in. It's really weird. Go back and look at it. It's somewhere around the six-minute mark. It's one of the strangest things that I think I just, like, all of a sudden, I was like, is she a vampire? Maybe she's a vampire. I don't think she drinks blood, but I think she's a vampire of some sort. Um, then, you know, I'm looking for more evidence of this. I rewound it to watch it again, and I rewound too far. The scene just before that scene she says to Jacob, they're looking through old pictures, and she said, it's important not to forget the past, lest it come back to bite you. So this is my theory. Margaret is a vampire. I know it's kooky. I don't even understand how it fits in myself, but she's a vampire. If anybody's a vampire, that woman's a vampire. All right, thank you. Bye. Oh, I love it. That's awesome. Great, great way to take two things and kind of make a theory out of it. Totally, totally wait. It's great. You know, this is the best part about doing the podcast is that you get things like this. Now, the only flaw in it is that Margaret was in the house previously from their date night. So I don't know if the invitation in resets itself or what the rules of the the vampire invitation concept are because she was invited in once previously before. So I thought that gave carte blanche from a vampire perspective. But I do love the fact that she was wearing black and that she mentioned the fact that it, it come back to bite you. That's very... A very nice pickup. I love that. Absolutely. And Don, great catch there. And although I know nothing about the whole rules of vampirism, um, I did go back and rewatch that scene. And you're right, Don. The the outfit that Margaret is wearing is one of the strangest outfits. I know, even though she is from decades ago, this is not your typical black garment wear that you would wear around town. It did look really, really odd. And I could see how that would make you think otherwise. It definitely added to the mystique of Grandma Langston's character. That, If you get a chance, go back uh, last week's episode and watch that scene. It, about six, seven, maybe even eight minutes in, what she's wearing is very odd. It's re- interesting that we talk about neo-vampirism, and it's probably not that. But when we think about books like The Dark Tower and things that have been written about, like the occult and and that sort of thing, and then compare it to the amount of religious undertone that the show has had, you know, could there be some kind of, you know, Wiccan or other, you know, dark element to the show? And was this kind of the way to tip that in that scale by showing off this this black cloak and having, you know, comments like the past will come back to bite you kind of thing? Well, like Dawn said, if anybody's involved in something like that, it's Grandma Langston. Absolutely. Now, Rosemary from the East Coast Facebook group said that she had thoughts from Aftermath. Of course, Ray's eating nonstop for the proof that we all believe that he is a returned. The dream sequence with Rachel about Tom. Tom will be a return and had that same dream at the exact same time as Janine. Recall that uh, the return can have the same, or Rachel, uh, the return can have the same dream because when Rachel uh, awoke, you know, she was calling for Tom because she literally had that exact same dream at that exact same time. 
And then uh, Rachel was stopped at the railroad tracks because she actually saw that Tom was back. What? I know. The government may have saved Bellamy because uh, we all know she is a return and she has vested interest in keeping him alive. So he and Maggie can come up with a cure to save Angela, too. No one knows Angela is a returned except for potentially Bellamy. I love that Maggie is starting to reveal the feelings for Bellamy. I still say there is more to the people who died in the fire. They are the key to the returned, and we have not seen the last of them. There are more to come, as Caleb warned, more related to the fire besides Caleb and Grandpa Addison. What did Barbara do to Jacob on the day that they both died? Did she kill him to silence him for knowing about the affair? There is more to that story, too. Jacob is not sad about Tom because he knows that Tom is returning. He left the G.I. Joe as a symbol of his lost childhood friendship with Tom to show Tom that Jacob missed him as a friend and Jacob was grieving the loss of his childhood friendship with Tom. It's a really good point. Which brings up the the question then for you, Wayne, if a returned wants for a person to come back, would that happen? Or does it have to be a living person wanting a deceased to come back for it to work? I don't know if it would matter in that particular sense. And although I know people, when they return on resurrection, they come back just as they were when they died. But a thought occurred to me, what if, what if Pastor Tom came back as a returned and he was the same age as Jacob? Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I know they wouldn't be able to go that way because it doesn't match, but I think it would be really cool for Jacob to get his friend back that he never got to grow up with. Almost like you're returning to an innocence kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Now, the... This email here, this message from the Facebook group, uh, Rosemary brings up a great point that I totally forgot about. The way Rachel stopped at the railroad tracks, I thought she was thinking about killing herself yet again and then maybe realizing, I'm just going to come back to life unless I give up altogether. That's what I got initially because the train was there and you heard the whistle and I was like, man, she's going to kill herself because she just can't go on without Tom. And then she probably does have that realization like, well, that just doesn't make sense because I'm just going to show right back up again in that red dress that really needs to go to the cleaners. <laughs> uh, but could she have seen Tom on the other side of the track as the train passed? Kind of like Bellamy saw Rachel on the side of the road. I would not be surprised. But if if that was the case, I would have thought that they would have given us a little glimpse of that right before leaving us with the cliffhanger at the end of the episode. Like a little blurred shadowy figure in the windshield or something based on the light reflection or something else to draw us back in next month or whenever a resurrection comes back. Yeah, you can watch Aftermath three more times before January 4th. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, closing it up, uh, Lucifer uh, was waiting for Maggie to say, if you still believe in coincidence, you weren't paying attention for all of the Under the Dome fans that are also playing along at home. Uh, Pastor Tom uh, should come back. It was not his time to go. Plus, there are so many unfinished business with Janine's insanity, Rachel's baby, and the town. It has to be Angela who put those meds into Maggie's bag. Her eyes totally tell me that. Carl is right. Death and dying don't matter anymore until it comes crawling right up to you. Did they, Jacob and Grandma, disappear? I hope they are just going to get uh, a cold compression kit for Henry. 
sure they uh, didn't do, uh, use magic is the key. I can't do this anymore. Uh, but if they really do disappear, it will just give so much guilt, twice the pain of loss and a bucket of regrets. More power to you guys, and we'll see you back in January. Lucifer. Excellent points there, and you're right. If by some chance Grandma Langston and Jacob both actually do disappear, I think that Lucille's, that's going to be, she's going to go down the same road that Janine's in right now. They're they're both just going to go flip cookies and lose it. Well, I mean, a new one from Izzy. She wrote in and said, Resurrection is such an amazing show. The themes of unconditional love and friendship are so prevalent and beautiful that all people should be introduced to it. Every episode makes you think and gets our minds going. Jacob and the Langstons are my favorite characters, and I do hope if season three is created that they will be there also. Izzy, thanks so much for writing in. Very well put. And ABC, if you're listening... People want season three. Bring it on. Well, we didn't have any iTunes reviews this week, but we just want to say thanks again for listening to the show. If you do want to leave us a review, head on over to resurrectionrevealed.com slash iTunes and go ahead and drop a review there. And as we head on out, we want to remind you that Resurrection Revealed is not affiliated with ABC Television or Plan B. We are an unofficial podcast and we do have costs to keep things rolling. So if you'd like to help us out a couple of ways so that we can make the show even better in 2015, You can do all of your Amazon shopping through our affiliate link at resurrectionrevealed.com slash Amazon. You can even donate directly to the show and invest in the show. Just go to resurrectionrevealed.com. You'll see the donation button on the right-hand side of the website if that's the way you'd like to uh, go. Yeah, and definitely keep connected with us over the short Christmas holiday season here in the States. You can follow us over on Twitter. At Resurrection Pod. And everybody needs to listen to Larry King because when the king speaks, you do what you're told, right? Right. You can also follow our personal accounts during the little break here. You can follow me at Troy Heinritz. That's Heinz Ketchup, Ritz Crackers, Nosy in the Middle. And you can follow Mr. Sir Wayne at... At Wayne Henderson, and it doesn't tie into any sort of food that I know of. Nope, just that musical guy that people like to listen to. Yes. I'm still trying to overtake him. Exactly. Take over the world. Uh, Lastly, again, leave a review in iTunes. You can even do it on Stitcher and iHeartRadio as well. Just do the thumbs up or the heart. We would love to get all the feedback we can from you guys during the break. So take some time out during the slowness of the holiday season to go ahead and let us know the holiday cheer you guys have for both me and Wayne. And of course, all of the fans that write into the show, they'd like to hear uh, which thoughts and theories that you love as well. But most importantly, subscribe to the feed. Don't miss an episode in case we have some news or breaking information during the hiatus. You don't want to miss that episode. Head on over to resurrectionrevealed.com and go to slash iTunes, slash Stitcher, slash TuneIn, slash iHeart, wherever you listen to a podcast. There we will be. And we, of course, we say uh, happy holidays to all of you. We will return in January. And from all of us here at Noodle Mix Network, I am at Troy Heinrichs. And I'm Wayne Henderson. Until we return in 2015, we'll be talking to you then on Resurrection and Revealed. Resurrection Revealed is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Get more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed 
at noodle.mx. Especially the Once podcast. If you're already watching Resurrection, you should be watching Once Upon a Time right before it at 8 Eastern and Pacific, 7 Central, and then listen to Once, the unofficial podcast and blog and forum with theories and talk about ABC's Once Upon a Time. All this and a bunch more of great content is waiting for you all over at noodle.mx.